This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. It's lucky to see you all here. We've had a whole day of church today, um, especially with the driving church. There was uh, just some exciting things happening. So if you weren't there, you missed out. It was fun to see how parents cope with the preschoolers in the car. Sometimes the windows were open, we just saw popcorn fly. Then we saw the kids fly. Then either the wife or the husband was flying. <laughs> but um, it was just amazing because just on the different venues on the, in Polaris, we had almost 500 people, say 450 people gathering with all the children in different venues and scanning them all and doing everything was crazy. But hallelujah. It was just so great to hear all the amens, just hooters all over the place. We we developed a new culture. Amen is hooting. You know, if if the doctrines are too liberal, then put on your left hand, you know, your left uh, indicator. If the doctor the doctrines are too conservative, put on the right indicator. If you're really passionate, then start the car and rev the engine, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put on the wipers if you're lifting up your hands, all that stuff. So we have a new lingo there both people sitting in their cars. But um, I'm going to continue on what we started to share this morning, or what I started to share. It's, a, it's sort of a series. And please just take, go like this, put on your seatbelt, because uh, you need to fasten your seatbelt. This is a tough one tonight. If you survive through this one, hallelujah, you're going to be called a Christian. I mean, so it's called Burning Your Bridges. You know, um, and uh, this sermon started six months ago. There's actually some of the grandchildren that are here that I, I'm going to speak about. But just to show that first um, picture. But imagine you going home tonight. You're getting to home and then you see a fire truck going past the direction that you come from. And then you get to your home or to your flat and everything has been burned down. Nothing left. What would your reaction be? Yeah, you know, some people would say, "Oh, has it not my point you my pantofons?" Obviously, we will all be traumatized. Yeah, but probably, what would be the thing that you miss the most? Yeah, you know, what would be the thing that, like, yeah? And um, I was actually there to Umaiki uh, there in Paul, and it was just so amazing chatting to her because their house burned down there on the farm, the Brechams. There, some of the kids are here tonight, but with the grandchildren, and just chatting through the experience. I think it was in January that the Family home for me, or it's just, I think the home probably was built in the 1800s, um, or even before that. It's a beautiful home, all the sentimental stuff, everything burned down, and just the, the Oma got out. And, um, and talking to her, because she's a really a saint, you know, she prays and she just loves Jesus. And um, <clears throat> the, talking through that experience just challenged me so much as to what do we put our worth in or our value in or what is what is you know what is the stuff that makes sense to us as christians and unfortunately then i started reading the book of acts and i realized like oh is a real when you read the book of acts and you say like okay this is the standard of the church and of our lives as christians then you repent all the way so i repented before i even started to read the chapter for the day because i realized like we're going to be challenged but imagine you know you have this idea we we sort of the the theme comes from a, a negative concept that says, don't burn your bridges, don't burn the relationships that God has given you. And that's true. 
but it actually comes from wartime when people would cross or an army would cross a bridge or a couple of bridges and then they had to make a decision. Uh, they're going into new territory and then they will burn all the bridges so that they cannot return where they've come from. So they only have one of two options. Victory or complete defeat and death. There's, there's no in-between. So it wasn't like they're burning the bridges so that the enemy can't come or whatever. It was the bridge behind them as they were going into enemy territory. And that's where the concept comes from originally of burning your bridge and burning the stuff of the past so that you make a decision, like we sang tonight, to make Jesus Lord of your life. And that's crazy. It is crazy to be a Christian. It's crazy to believe this Bible because either Jesus was a lunatic or he was the Son of God. There's no in-between <laughs> with the statements he made. And so in John chapter 11, verse 25, the moment that turned the, the ministry of Jesus around was the resurrection of Lazarus. And there were two amazing ladies that Jesus loved very much. And brother Lazarus and Jesus loved him very much. And, um, and so in the context of this story, there's this question that comes out. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. In the book of John, he has seven statements, the I am statements. Go and study it. It's amazing. I am the bread of life. I'm the shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, he made all of those statements. But in the middle of these statements, he makes this in John 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me through him, though he may die... He shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> At the central figure or the central theme of the book of Acts and of the gospel is the virgin birth and the resurrection. And unfortunately, the church in the West has lost a focus of both of those things. We're going to talk about that maybe hopefully as I'm just busy with the introduction. So I went to Egypt the first time, I think was in 2001, and we met the uncle there. And um, he's, I, I asked him, like, hey, what can we do for you? And the first thing he said, some of you heard this story, he said, don't send people here. Don't send people out of the West because of your diluted gospel. And I thought, like, oh, okay, that's like nice to say that, you know. Um, and um, then I said, okay, but what can we do? He says, oh, pray. You can pray for the church in Egypt and the Middle East. And, um, and said, what can we pray for you? And then he said the following words. I'll never forget it. He says, pray that the church in Egypt will embrace its season of martyrdom. And I thought, like, that's what a prayer to pray. And then the next year we went to India, northern parts of India. And the conference, the theme of the conference was how to joyfully endure persecution for the gospel. You know, 75% 75, 75 of the church in the world is suffering great persecution because of their faith and the gospel. The West, the church in the West, it's not a different church. There's one church. We're all part of the same bride, okay? The church in the West is being pruned and being challenged. And what's coming out is not positive. It's sort of almost like a numbness, almost like a, hey, let's just try to go through this wave. And the church always has an opportunity. And that opportunity is to say yes to death, to be able to know life. 
John 12, 24, just the next chapter. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If any, Hello, everyone there on the streaming. I forgot to say hello. Hello, Vileo. Okay, so... Verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Sure. I want to know the honor of God when I serve God. Anyone else included? <laughs> you know, when we went to Indonesia last year, the most amazing story of the revivals that started in Indonesia, lots of uh, missionaries that came across and many of these tribes were cannibal tribes were very antagonistic against the gospel against anyone else bringing their beliefs most of those missionaries came with their coffin said goodbye to their families and said i will be buried but i'm not afraid of death most amazing thing is you can't threaten a Christian with death. Hey, Avi, <laughs> you can't threaten a Christian with death. S sorry? <laughs> for me to die, for me to live his gain, but to die is Christ, to know him. And so the central theme of the gospel is death, but not like, oh, this is so punishment because it's what I say no to. It's right there. It says, but if it dies, it produces much grain. And so the challenge for all of us is, what, are we willing to walk the life of the gospel? Because there is a cost, but the producing of the grain, the multiplication. You know, we had a, this morning a doctor with us in church, Dr. Izel, she, medical doctor, testified of the scares you got a couple of weeks ago with having breast cancer. And she obviously knows what she talks about. And so she went to this person and now she says it just goes on and on. The one test and eventually she must do a MMI. Is that right? I don't know what scans and all this stuff. But everything is there and it points to almost 100% sure that she has got breast cancer. And she says this morning the most beautiful thing. She says... Well, I prayed, and she's got five children, and thinking about them, and going through all the fears, and all of that stuff. What if she would die? And then she said something that just struck me. She said, well, if cancer is my ticket to get into the cancer ward to tell them about Jesus, I'm willing to go there. Yo. I thought, she's saved. But you see, we, we are sometimes so removed from what the gospel is because, A, we are really wanting a comfortable gospel. We, we really sort of want to like add God to our lives. And, and I, I want to I say to you, I'm not yet to tell you that this is a nice life. I want to tell you this is a real. And as a Christian, you're going to face death. And whatever you face, there's an opportunity for much grain to be produced because even out of that out of that testimony out of what happens in your life you have a choice you can be offended you can be negative you can harden your heart lose your passion for god and decide i'm going to go into the world or you can say like god i'm not going to let go 
And we're going we're gonna to show you what that means, not to let go for what it is. And so there's a couple of deaths that you must reckon yourself to. And Romans talks so beautiful about it. I wish we had 10 hours just to do Romans 6, 7, and 8. But Romans 6, verse 1 to 13. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly... We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. United together in the likeness of his death. You see, the world doesn't want to face any tough things or death or breakdown or stuff. It's all superficial. But the Christian has the opportunity to stare death in the eyes and then say, Oh death, where is your sting? Why? Because of what Jesus has done. Because once you face that stuff, once you even face the ugly stuff in your heart, the almost imperfection, and you begin to cry out to God. You know, I, I, I told the four o'clock guys, you know, when I, I studied B accounting, and so I, I, I walked out of varsity thinking like, I am the B's knees. I know, you know, this is it. Like, I've got a degree, you know. So to be very honest, now I get there, I've got about 12 or 14 people working under me in the accounting department. I'm the financial manager and all that stuff. And so I'm going for the, it's my first week, my first week. So I'm like the boss, you know, and, and now I'm sort of judging a bit, oh, all these cleaners, you know, they don't have, they don't have a degree, you know, but whatever. I, I didn't say it, I didn't say it because I'm a Christian in any case, but in my mind I'm just thinking like, I need to perform, I need to show these people. And so, so these, these photocopy machines at the back and all that stuff, some of you have heard this story, and I go around the corner and I've got like an 80 page, like a format thing and budgets and stuff that I must like staple together and I get this industrial stapler and I put it in. There's nobody there. so And I go like, bah, you know, and I'm thinking like, this is it, you know. And I staple my finger in through the side through with this industrial stapler into this 80 page of report budgeting stuff. And I'm lying there and the blood is flowing. And I'm thinking, just don't let the blood get onto the report. But I'm sitting there. And I'm sitting there and I go, now my office was three, just like three offices away. So I run into the office, close the door, and I go and sit in the corner. I go like, oh. <laughs> you know, and I don't know how to get the stable out. But now I'm too ashamed to call anybody just to ask like help or whatever. And I said, Jesus, help, help. And I'm sitting there and the blood is flowing. And I'm thinking like, what are these people going to say? They've been working. Some of them have been working here for like months and years. They've become the perfect staplers. You know, they just know how to do it. And here the man with a degree on his first week can't know nothing, can't even staple properly. And the blood is flowing down. I'm sitting there. And here comes this cleaning lady. She walks into the office and says, Hi! Oh, this must be for the glory of God. <laughs> I can't get a word out, you know. And this lady is so spiritful. 
and she loves the Lord. She she became like one of the prayer warriors in the in the in the business, you know. And we just prayed together. There was another guy, mechanic, and he just always he didn't wear proper underarm, but the three of us prayed, you know. <laughs> we would pray. I would just always make sure I'm I'm downwind, you know, or not upwind. What do you call it? The other way. So that when you pray, there's no flavor or fragrance coming through. But that day, I realized that when Mary prays, and she prays like this in Afrikaans, Oh God, the Father, come and scut here black. I think like, wow, you know, I'm just standing on attention when she prays. You know, she comes here from the Cape Flat, but she can pray. You know, when she prays, all the demons go on holiday. You know, they just leave. And I thought like, wow. And then my life changed <laughs> because I realized like, sure. I'm just fulfilling a function in this life. And she's cleaning, but she's praying in every office. In such a way that one day I walked into my boss's, the CEO's thing, and as I'm walking in, my ring finger begins to burn. I take it off. I think, like, what's going on, you know? The, the ring on my finger begins to burn. I've never experienced something like that. That's, like, weird, you know? Then I put it on. When I walk into his office, it burns again. So I put it off, and I say, like, oh, no, Lord, what are you? What is happening? This is crazy. Third time, I go back and I say, say, Mr. Peter, Mr. Peter, I don't know, but there's something wrong in your marriage. And the guy just breaks down. He says, my wife left me this morning. She walked out of the door. She says, never going to return. I said, do you believe in Jesus? He says, yes. I said, okay, let's pray. But now you go repent. Ask forgiveness. That's where we start. Oh, the gospel works. Amen. Thank you for your quietness. Dead to sin, but alive to God. But where are we now? Bernard, stop interrupting me like that. Okay, so uh, we are in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with what we should no longer be slaves of sin. For you has died as being freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to, to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. So he's writing not just about the forgiveness of sins, but he's beginning to say like, do you, remember what Jesus asked, do you believe? Do you, do you believe this resurrection? The central theme of the book of Acts is about the resurrection of Christ. And here he says like, not just have you been forgiven sins, but do you believe that God has broken the power of sin and the reign of the power of sin in your life? Because you must reckon yourself dead to that dead to sin dead to self and dead to the world listen to what matthew 16 we all know this verse it says then jesus said to his disciples if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul what will a man give in exchange for his soul next couple of weeks i'm going to talk a lot about the church in the middle east and the suffering church the majority of the church in the world because what we have is not normal it's not normal church there's more than two hundred thousand chinese christians that have signed up on the silk way 
to lay down their lives physically for Jesus to preach the gospel through the Middle East to go back to Jerusalem. If you want to be a Christian in China, you have to sign. If you want to receive your social grant, you sign there and says, I reject any faith and especially Christianity. Most Christians say no to a social grant because the new leader wants to be Mao Zedong, wants to be an emperor. Is the church suffering? Yes. Is the church exploding, growing, healthy? Yes. In India, they've just signed anti-conversion laws in Nepal, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, all the countries. There's a marching through the world to increase persecution. And most of those people just say, we will not deny Jesus because we've tasted of his resurrection. We live for Christ to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And you know, we have to embrace and we have to begin to prepare ourselves as the church in the West <laughs> to say, God, like Daniel, whether you deliver us or whether not, we will worship you. Take us through the fire. You know, unfortunately, most of the church in the West doesn't even believe the gospel anymore. So we've lost the power. I love what Reinhard Bunker says. He says, preach the original gospel and you'll get the original results of that gospel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm just adding Jesus to my life, you know. I'm just sort of planning all my tennis trips and my golf trips and my surfing trips and all my social trips and my hiking trips. I'm planning all of that weeks and months in advance. And I'm really excited about that. But you know, Jesus just sort of like, where can I fit him in? Imagine I tell my wife, Louise, you know what? I'm, I really love you. Bernard, this is now a tip for you. I'm picking on you and Obi. I really love you, you know, but, but um, on Wednesday night from 7 to 8.30, that's when we're going to have like real deep fellowship. I'm putting that hour and a half out just for you. And I'll greet you for three minutes every morning when the day starts. And Sunday, Sunday things are going to happen. Hey, ladies, you won't be happy. You're going to say, hey, go, go and find yourself another lady. I'm not going to get married to you. <laughs> There's no commitment. Oh, can I dare to say that, that most of the church in the West does exactly the same with Jesus? We plan our lives around our nice trips. Nothing wrong with those nice trips. I play golf sometimes. It's not healthy for my character. It's not healthy for my emotions because sometimes I almost kill people. But fortunately there are people like Ben Jason that plays much worse golf than me. So I at least get some positive feelings. Now one day, I must take Ben Jason out. One day we were playing golf and there's these old English uncles. Now they play very slowly so we're going to, it's like a short hole and we're going to go by. And I'm, we all already putting and finishing the hole and Benny's going like this way and that way and running after the ball and this. And I tell this old uncle from England, from the UK, I say like, uncle, he's really good at football, you know, playing football because he's like in the Stormer squad and all of that stuff. And so Ben eventually get to the green, you know, where you putt. And so the uncle says, laddie, 
stick to football. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got lots of strings, Ben. I'm backing you. Okay, but so the amazing thing is, <clears throat> are we really, are we really prepared to go there, to burn the preachers? <laughs> are we ready to say yes? And I'm not talking about a super spiritual thing. I'm, I'm just talking about Dr. Izel this morning that's a doctor, but she doesn't switch God off when she's doing a medical pra practice. She prays for every patient. <laughs> she lays hands on them because she knows the healer. She, she's not switching off her vocation. She's working with God and for God. And this is so beautiful because once, once you learn to embrace death and even the things, maybe it's some of your past and in the next couple of weeks I'm going to talk about burning the bridges of your past. <laughs> saying, saying, yeah, you, I recognize I come from this. I recognize that maybe I've received, maybe I, I didn't come, but some bridges we must burn. Sometimes not be sentimental because this tiny said to me, well, I'm alive. I have Jesus. I'm not sentimental about our home. I'm thinking like, she's godly. Because Romans 6.11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you don't just focus on the death, but you focus on being alive with Jesus. And reckon means to count, to weigh up, to stand in, to believe it. To have no fellowship with death, but to have fellowship with life. To not entertain death, but to entertain life. Yeah, One of the moments that changed my life was in Iran. And you've heard this story probably 500 times. Sitting there with a lady for many days as we're worshipping. She doesn't understand English. But in the corner of the kitchen, she sits and worship and weeps. Just to be in the presence of God. The next day, uh, this little boy, nine-year-old boy comes. Only Christian in his home. And he had a visitation from Christ, from Jesus, in a dream. And every morning, at two o'clock, he wakes up. Every morning... For almost three years already then. He was nine, year olds when he, nine year old when we met him. Two o'clock in the morning. Takes his Bible. Goes to the kitchen. Sit under the kitchen table. Draw the cloth of the kitchen table over. Sit with a little flashlight from two till five. And he reads his Bible. What are you going to tell that boy about the five Bibles in your house that gathers dust. You're going to say to him, Jesus is not real? Because he's also going to stand there and say, what was the cost of your gospel? Because it's real. Following Christ is real. It's not a game. And you have to decide on how you're going to follow him because you reckon yourself dead to sin in the world. You reckon yourself alive to God. That's the joy of knowing Him. Maybe you're sitting here tonight <clears throat> and you're thinking like, Yo, my life is so messed up. It's not about perfection. It's not about being this passionate, holy Christian. <clears throat> Just count the cost. Say, God, I want that. I, I want to know you. This is what Paul writes <clears throat> in Philippians 3 verse 10, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. 
If there's no death, there's no life. The world says, have life. Enjoy your life. Plan your life. Just enjoy everything. Don't be accountable to anybody, especially not to God. Just go on. Just enjoy. Just plan your life and spend it. Make it busy. Fill it with so many things. And then at the end of your life, you realize, like, oh, I never had life. But life is knowing Christ. Life is the relationship. And so in the context of the story, and now we are getting to the sermon. I mean, okay. Are you still excited because it's very quiet? Yeah. <laughs> Say, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's life. I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you life because, hey, we must preach the gospel, not of the West, not of our culture, not of our intellect, but the, the, the gospel that is real. Because hey, you're going to be faced with issues. You're going to be faced with challenges. And then the decision is whether you're going to worship or not. Listen to this. This is the story. Now we're reading the story of that context of the, what Jesus asked the question about. Are you interested to hear that story? Okay. John 11. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Okay. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. A moment of intense emotional intensity. <laughs> now, I've got a big imagination. So when I read scripture, I actually read scripture as if I'm there. So, so I imagine, I picture myself this moment. I picture myself the moment when Jesus died on the cross. Oh, no, all the disciples ran away. The women stayed with him. They were so traumatized. They were so discouraged. They had, they just, thought like three years we've given three we've left everything and now our hero dies <laughs> you know <laughs> just imagine it's not a, like a, just a story out there it's like he died and now he gave us like you know what's happening here you know and i love you know peter that ran away and denied him so many times and all that stuff i love it when the angel appears and and tells mary and the girls the ladies at the tomb say go and tell the disciples and peter <laughs> I've risen. <laughs> and uh, Thomas and all the guys, no, can't be. You know, they just like depressed. They negative. They discouraged. Eventually they go back fishing. Go read John at the end. You know, they just like, okay, let's go back. Let's try. Let's start all over. Change the company name. Change everything. You know, just like start from scratch again. You know, go back to where we came from. Jesus stands there to show his brine fish. I mean, barbecuing is from the Lord. I mean, okay, so <clears throat> they come onto the shore. Jesus doesn't say to him, oh, you worthless one. You denied me three times. Let's sort it out now. You me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, I can't love you like unconditionally, but I can love you like a friend. He says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Look after my people. Because I'm going to give you a capacity. Because you're going to know my resurrection power. But you're going to need to face death. To know it. The death of your own denial of me. <laughs> the death of that deep offense. Of the prayer that you prayed that didn't come through. Mary had to face that. Lord if only you were here. He's now dead. He's, it's gone. Why did you. After you heard about his sickness, delayed two days. I am offended with you, Jesus. 
Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. The original says he deeply howled in his spirit. It wasn't just like a... After it, he wept in verse 35. That wasn't weeping. It was a deep confrontation with man's greatest fear. It's the fear of death. He saw all these people. And so God is not... God is not far from your experience or your valley of death even. He's not out there. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled and he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, See how he loved him. Verse 38. We get 34 and 35 again. Jesus wept. It's probably the longest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Verse 38, Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and he stoned, and he lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be, be an odor, for he has been dead for, for days. There's no Mitchum. There's no spray it clean there's like ugh. jesus said to her did i not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of god so they took away the stone and jesus lifted up his eyes and said father you can almost miss the whole story because this is the most important part coming on father i thank you that you have heard me and i knew that you always hear me. What a prayer. Father, I thank you that you hear me and you've heard me and you always hear me. There's some of you that must know tonight that God has heard every cry of your heart. Every time when you're faced with that death or that anguish or that pain or that Stuff he's heard. He's not a God up there that is here to have a reckoning with you. Because that's why I sent Jesus to the cross. But I thank you that you've heard me, that you've always heard me. I, I've told it before, but I, one day, I think Luan, you were still with us when we were going up into Nepal in the mountains with these big like rucksacks and stuff and carrying. And I'm just, I just complaining. I just say, okay, Lord, this is it. I'm suffering. And, and the, the drips are, it's drip, the sweat drips are dropping from my nose like in a rhythm as I'm walking. And I'm thinking like, oh, I'll have no water left when we get up there because there is mountains, 4,000 meters above sea levels. This is not a mountain. This is a hill. This one here, you know? Salambos Mountain, 800 meters. That's like a mountain, okay? So when you climb, you climb, okay? And so here we go. And I'll never forget it. Now I want to moan, I want to complain. And as the sweat drops are dropping onto the ground, the Holy Spirit says to me, I'm measuring every drop. And I have to think like, wow, Lord. This is a joy to suffer for you. Because there's much grain I have the power to multiply. Do you know, we can talk a lot about, and I said it at a wedding yesterday, and I can get into lots of trouble because the liberals won't like it. But you as a human being have the opportunity to create, to create another human being because you've been made in the image of God. 
male and female, husband and wife. God has given us the opportunity to produce something. To be partakers of his divine nature by producing children. <laughs> it's the greatest privilege ever. But with that privilege is going to come a massive sacrifice. I spoke to this couple that got a, got a kid the other day. <laughs> and they said, I'm, we're just so grateful for our parents. We never thought it's so much tension and so much sacrifice. And we were selfish. We, we never knew we were so selfish until we got a kid, you know. Because you wake up at 6 o'clock and you've realized you haven't actually gone to sleep, you know. Now you have to go to the, to the work, you know, and you have to be like, ah, you know. Meantime, you've had like six energides and seven, you know, Red Bulls and all that stuff, you know. <laughs> you think like, okay, I just need to make it through the day, you know. And your parents did that for you. I know some of you are staring at me like that as, wait, wait. But you see, you will... Change it for nothing, eh, Marie? <laughs> You'll change it for nothing to have those children because, hey, you only will learn to love once you've sacrificed. The world says it the other way around. No, no, once you feel loved and once you feel loving, then you're all going to sacrifice for it. You only really begin to love once you sacrifice for something. Hello. <laughs> it's getting very quiet. And the church in the West doesn't want to serve, doesn't want to sacrifice. We want to be convenient Christians. While 75% of the church has learned to sacrifice. You know, we met last year in Nepal. A lady, I can't even remember her age. Marie, no, Marie's not here. We sat with her. The, she's been married to the father of Nepal, the Christian church in Nepal. They call him Papa father because he was the first guy to go to prison and they said well we will kill you if you not deny Jesus I said I won't do that and he was in prison for 25 years he came out I think he was out for three months they said okay we're gonna deny we're gonna you need to deny Christ he says no I will not the only visits he had from his children was when they were small enough to sneak the, his kids into the prison. <laughs> when they, the kids could fit through the bars of the prison to go and see their dad. Mom probably, I think it was more than 20 years, didn't see her husband. They asked him, and I asked her, we sat with her and had a privilege to pray with her and said like, wow. Said our faith kept the nation of Christians going. Nepal has the greatest revival next to China and Iran and some of those nations now of Christianity. Was there a sacrifice? Immense. Was it worth it? Immense. <laughs> Go ask that 80 year old lady. Was it worth it? Is it worth it? Yes. Jesus said, verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around you, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! <laughs> the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with his cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The work of the church is to unbind, <laughs> is to get the grave clothes off. But Jesus calls the dead to life in us. No church can do that. 
But you need a relationship around you. Because Jesus didn't move away the tombstone and Jesus didn't unwrap the, the linen. The friends and the people had to do that. Now you must go and read the rest of the story because we don't have time. But the amazing thing is, this is the point of no return for Jesus in his ministry. Immediately after that, they started to plot to kill him. Because with God, it's life or death. Choose life. What an opportunity. What an ability to know the resurrection power of Christ. And you know, there's a, a lot of Christians that are at the moment sort of just like not really wanting to be Christians. But I want to challenge you read this book, <laughs> read this Bible. And see if it's real. I want to dare you. I want to dare you burn some bridges in following Christ. I'm not saying stop your studies and go to Iran. I'm not saying, hey, don't do what God has called you in the workplace. Because that's where Christians need to stand up. But the Christians in the West is quiet. They've lost its voice. It's, the world is marching over it. Liberalism and, you know, it's just going crazy. Why? Because there's no voice. The nation, our nation is corrupt because there's no voice. <laughs> and it's only the Christians that have moral fiber that must keep the nation together. <laughs> it's getting very quiet, Bernard. Why is it so quiet? Huh? Regan, why is it so quiet here? Okay, are you listening still? Okay, so <clears throat> a personal test. Now. I've, not, I've not shared that many times because some people may think it's egoistic or whatever. What's the time now? Oh, we have lots of time. Lock the doors, Jacobus. Lock the doors. Okay. You know, a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2001, and I, I've just heard so many testimonies. You know, so, and I'm, <clears throat> I, I was challenged because I worked with a lot of students. I thought like, okay. We need to like write something that can disciple people properly. So I went to, I think, seven different people that I know that are much more focused on getting their theology right. By the way, we're all theologians, so don't be negative about theologians because theologians, if they're not liberal, we all, theology means a study of God. So we're all theologians, okay? So it's, we're not negative about theologians and we need proper theology in the church. You know, so I went to a couple of people and I said, look, yeah, this is the framework, but what we need to read, you, you need to write us like a short thing for like students or whatever, a discipleship book or whatever. And so all of them just said, no, no, no. And for, for a period of a year, nothing happened. And so I thought like, okay, let me just start writing it and then they can edit it or whatever. So I said, I wrote it. It took a year, almost on average 20 hours a week. That I put into it, so it was it was massive, you know. And so I think like, okay, cool, take it to them, and they still denied it. And eventually, I said, okay, let's go publish it. Some of you have done this walking with Jesus book, okay. But that wasn't that was just amazing. It was just a personal growth more than anything else. This is just a personal testimony, okay. So don't worry about that. I'm going to ask you money or anything like that. But so so you're <laughs> we're writing this book, <laughs> and um, <laughs> everyone's going like, oh, where's he going with this? You know, prosperity gospel. <laughs> Okay, bring it on, you know. And so, um, so we wrote a book and we trusted God. And I said, okay, God, I want 100,000 copies to give it away for free. And so, praise the Lord, we had a big Angus outreach. And that happened eventually. And eventually, we reached the 200,000 mark and whatever. And by the way, I don't get a cent from the book, so I can talk about it. I'm not here to, to promote the book. Everything goes to missions. Hallelujah. 
And, um, <clears throat> and so writing the book was one of the most challenging because it was just almost like a personal growth. It was a part of the personal story about the challenges I've faced and all of that stuff. And so, um, <clears throat> and then I think it was 2008, um, I got a big contract from a Christian publisher. And he said, okay, he'll take over the stuff and publish it in America. And the guy put out all the budgets and all that stuff. And I thought like, whoa, this is like big money. That evening, before I had to sign the contract the next day, the Lord said, why did I tell you originally? I said, Lord, uh-uh. Next day I phoned the guy and said, sorry, publisher. Because what would have happened, they would have taken away all the rights to actually give away the book for free, you know, and so, and then they would have paid like stuff out per book that they sell or whatever, but then they'll be the owners of the book, and the Lord says, no, you must give away the book for free, and so I said it, and the guy said, well, you're making the biggest mistake of your life, you know, I said, no, it's about obedience to God, you know, and literally every week, last week, let me tell you a testimony of this book. A guy phoned me and he said to me, um, you don't know me, but I broke into a house in Gauteng. <laughs> <laughs> and I stole a lot of books and there was one of your Walking with Jesus books. And I started to read it. And I got saved through it. I just want to thank you for writing the book. <laughs> so I was thinking like... <laughs> Crazy stuff, yeah. And so the most amazing stuff, it's busy, you know, it's busy translating into Zulu. The guy who's the translator for the Zulu thing phoned me this afternoon and just said, like, he's just weeping as he's reading through the scriptures, you know. This is the translator of the book, you know. And it's been, I think, 14 languages already, and they're publishing it in Russia, and it's all just for free. And I'm thinking, like, hey, we can't put a price to the gospel, yeah. It's just a book, I, but praise God, 70% of it is scriptures. I'm not promoting the book. I'm just telling you the story of that journey. And I, I, I still wonder what would have happened in 2007 if I signed that contract and gave away what God told me to do. Maybe I had a big bank account. But we came to Nepal in the north, traveled from the east to the west. And in the middle of Nepal, a guy came to me and says, I'm a pastor. And I've got a Nepalese translation of your book, you know. We're doing it into the mountains. I'm thinking, like, Lord, that's exactly what you told me. Sow a seed. Sow a seed. There's nothing like it, you know. <laughs> because, you know, money can't buy you the fruitfulness. And this is, this is what Jesus says, and this is what I want to end with. In this Lazarus, in this whole commotion of him dying, verse 40. Because sometimes we read the story of Lazarus like 40 times and we think, yeah, yeah, yeah I've, I've been there. But sometimes you have to zone in a little bit because here in verse 40, Jesus said to him, Did I not tell you that if you believed? Remember the question he asked at the resurrection? Do you believe? That's the question he asked. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see many resurrections and write many books and be very happy with me? you would see the glory of God. 
you would see the glory of God, the kabot, the presence of God, you will see that. Because it's not about the miracle. If you will only believe. It's time that the church begins to believe. It's time that we begin to believe. Because the promise is not for the breakthrough. Moses said it, Lord, we don't want to go into the promised land. If you don't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, the greatest reward of any Christian in death or in the power of his resurrection or in the life that he promises you is that you will see the glory of God. You will know the presence of God. You will know the weight of God in your life, of his presence with you. Not on a Wednesday or a Sunday when you tune up your Christianity or try to be super spiritual, but in your life, the glory of God in your life. And I've seen it. I, I want to tell you, I've only been serving God for 30 years, but oh, there's nothing you can try. I've been in... <laughs> The most weirdest things has happened. You know, I remember sitting one day, Ben, Jason, you'll like this story, and all this, it's a couple of like good rugby players, Stormers guys here. But so I'm sitting there with a the coach and a couple of people here at this big state, and these guys are like really worldly, you know. And so one of the big coaches of one of the, the provincial teams and all that stuff is sitting next to me, and this one guy's swearing and the other guy's drinking and all that stuff. And so one of my friends who's a CEO of this big company says, but, you know, so he invited me. I feel like, oh, my God, you know, just try to find the words in between all the swear words, but hallelujah, you know. So these guys are having a party. They don't know I'm a pastor, you know. <laughs> so now, now he says, see us, will you pray for us for the food? So now the food has arrived, you know. So I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, what am I going to pray right now? Yeah. Because these guys are obviously, they are as unspiritual as a stone, as a palm tree, uh, as a whatever you want to call it. They are very unspiritual. Okay, so now I'm thinking like, oh, my God. And so, <clears throat> so I'm thinking, I'm not going to impress them because I know the presence of God in my life. I know him. I know his resurrection life. And God wants to reach these guys sitting here. So I'm not intimidated by them. I'm not intimidated by their swearing or what, you know. So, so I go in with the two guys. Now this big coach is sitting here next to me and the other guy is sitting there. So I'm putting my hands on their shoulders and I'm saying just, thank you, Lord, that you are here. The next moment, while... I'm starting to pray for the food. Thank you for the food. The coach next to me shouts, What the, the, did you do right now? <laughs> and I'm thinking like, What? <laughs> so he, in the middle of my prayer, shouts, What the, the, did you do right now? You know, I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I, I just, I said, I prayed. <laughs> he says, When you put your hand on my shoulder, electricity went through me. You shocked me. I said, no, 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 don't worry. No, so they just pray again. So I put my hand on his shoulder again. And he goes like, what? <laughs> so I just said, God is here and he's not intimidated by you <laughs> or by your status. That led to so many conversations with that guy. 
because I've seen the glory of God. And I'm not intimidated by unsaved people. <laughs> and you shouldn't be. But are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to go to that Lazarus tomb? <laughs> Say, Jesus, I'm actually offended because I don't know why you didn't answer my prayer, but I know that you did hear my prayer. And I know that you always hear my prayer. So call forth that Lazarus, Lord. You see, for all of us, you have to stand in front of that grave sometimes. You have to stand in front of that place. I can tell you many testimonies. <laughs> many testimonies. One day I woke up and I was like, Lame in half of my body. He says, I could not move. And I'm sitting there and I'm afraid of death. I'm afraid of being lame. I just thought like, what happened to me right now? I can't move. I can't physically. Half of it is like my face. Everything down is just like completely lame. There's no movement. Now I try to move and it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen. And the Holy Spirit says to me, speak life. So I take this hand because this hand works. And I said, In Jesus' name, life. <laughs> yeah. Three hours later, I stood up and I walked. Life came back. I still don't know what happened. I've, I've told you so many stories of being in India and people saying, hey, you shall live and not die. And I realized like, I should have been dead so many times. But see, life is in Christ's hands. And I trust him with it. Because, hey, if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. And so, so there's a shift that needs to happen in our Christianity. <laughs> a shift of whether we're going to take him seriously at his word. I'm not talking about an intellectual pursuit. I'm talking about a surrender to who he is, the God of this Bible. Nothing wrong with intellect. But first, a heart pursuit. And, it, and you need to burn some of those bridges. <laughs> you need to say... I'm going to say no to those nice social stuff all the time because sometimes I must go up the mountain and I must go and pray. Sometimes I must go and go, just go and seek his face, just me and him. Sure. Because there's a sacrifice that the church in the West must get used to. We don't want to see the results before we've sacrificed. We just sacrifice because it's willing. It's for the glory of God. It's for worship. It's worship. It's worship to Him. So some of us must change our schedule. Some of us must change our weekend plans. Some of us must, must change our social plans. I'm just saying it out of love. And I'm not the perfect Christian. I'm the least. When I veg, I veg. You know? <laughs> when I'm in the flesh, I'm in the flesh. You know? <laughs> when I repent and say, God, sorry, save me. <laughs> so I'm not trying to put perfection on you, not, but I do try to say, you need to be obedient. You need to be obedient. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. It's for the glory of God. And there's a contention for the presence of God in our lives and in the church. Are you willing to go there? Or are you going to just be a normal, no, airy-fairy Christian? But the world is going to wash over the church in the West. All great persecution is going to come. So the invitation is, hey, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead to the world. Reckon yourselves dead to self. And when you play rugby, play it full on for God. 
for the glory of God. When you, when you study, do it fully for the glory of God. Because you know His presence is your exceedingly great reward. And we've become so familiar with His presence that we don't even know what it means anymore. But He wants to bring His glory. Just that, that moment with Lazarus. So will you stand? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.